Hello, this is episode 234, recorded on Wednesday the 16th of January 2019, at 7 minutes and 13 seconds past 1 in the afternoon. Yeah, hello, and welcome to the first show of the year, and a big hello to 2019. And to all you listeners, hopefully there's one or two of you. Happy New Year, I suppose. (laughs) It's a bit late, but better late than never. What's been happening? Where was I? Well, I was sick for most of the holiday season. Hence, probably the continued heavy breathing. I say continued. I think in the last episode I was pretty snuffly. And there are probably lingering cold sounds you can hear in this episode. I also had an ear, eye and nose infection too. I say had. I have a little of that left. Which added to the level of misery, which meant that podcasting was really the last thing on my mind. Instead, I watched a lot of Monk... But if you thought I was dead, you'd be wrong. I'm still here. So yeah, again, a belated season's greetings, Merry Christmas, etc. I don't think I did any more podcasts in 2018, apart from the last one. And that wasn't Christmas Day. So yeah. Oh, and also belated, happy Marka Shankranti. Or, as my mum says, happy dal and rice stew day. Yes, yesterday was the second and final day of the Hindu festival of Makar Shankranti, which is dedicated to the sun god Surya. Ah, yeah, surviving Christmas. I hope your Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day were great. Mine were okay. All those self-help articles that are churned out year after year, probably the same articles regurgitated, saying how it's actually great to spend it alone, are full of it. A few times are okay, a novelty perhaps, even a relief from the chaos of bickering family gatherings. But... When it becomes the rule, not the exception, then it's not okay. If your Christmas was like that, then I empathise. Like I said, mine was okay, but not great. I made an effort, but yeah, as I've said a few times already, I was in the midst of lots of health things. And on top of all the things that I've just mentioned, I also had a migraine. Ah, yeah, I really don't recommend podcasting when you have a problem with every orifice in your body. Not a pleasant thing to to deal with, yeah. But back to Christmas. I did make Christmas dinner with all the trimmings, opened up... A few cards and a couple of presents I received and blasted myself with hours and hours of Star Wars and a Bucks Fizz 
large enough to knock out a mammoth. Yeah, mammoths again. I love mammoths. I paid for it the next day, but like I said, I survived Christmas. And the best thing about Christmas dinners is the Boxing Day sandwiches you make with them the next day, which I did. As I continued my Star Wars marathon, nursing the dregs of sickness and a hangover. But sandwiches, mmm. What did I get for Christmas? I got three cards, though one admittedly was from a neighbour, but still, it's the thought that counts, and two presents, so that's something. And something's better than nothing. And yeah, the Star Wars rewatch was my Christmas thing. I watched the first six movies. I didn't bother with the modern sequels, which I watched shortly before Christmas. And I watched Harmy's despecialized editions of the first three movies because they are brilliant. My only criticism is that the colours are more saturated and the contrast is higher than in the original theatrical release. But if you're looking for the best copies of the original Star Wars, then these are the movies you're looking for. And yes, I've made that joke a dozen times before. That's Harmy's Despecialized Editions. If you don't mind circa... 1977 screen resolutions, not the incredible 70mm print that I may or may not have seen in 1977. What can I say, it was a long time ago. Then seek out the later laser disc editions of the original theatrical trilogy that I think used the 35mm standard cinematic print. It's a slightly involved process to find either sets of these movies, which, for obvious reasons, I can't talk about. But, frankly, by this time, most of us Star Wars nerds have bought copies of the movies numerous times, so, morally, we have paid the licensing fees several times over. I think I bought the VHS-THX trilogy right after I bought Marlon Brando's The Wild One, after buying my own first video recorder. My parents can tell you what a racket I made watching those movies. Anyway, Harmy is the man, and his work has been out there since 2011. So, yeah, it's out there somewhere. Go and find it. Oh... And although these notes have been hanging around for weeks, really, until I got into the mood and into a state where I could podcast again, so this next item is a little older, but I would still like to extend a note of condolences to Egyptian listeners, if there are any, and tourists and others affected by the recent bombing in Egypt My family have great affection for Egypt, and we spent one of our most memorable holidays there. So, yeah, not great. 
I also don't think it great that there was hardly any satisfactory news coverage by the mainstream press, but that's what seems to happen when something on a sub-genocide scale happens in a non-Western country. If you just heard a weird shout in the background, that was my Bluetooth speaker saying that it was turning itself off. So sorry about that. Let's get on to some of the movies I've been watching. And the first one I want to talk about, and by the way, these aren't in chronological order. I've just put them into the show notes in the order in which I wrote about them. Not that it really matters. Let me get on with it now. Okay, Aquaman, yeah. In this working-class hero and hereditary king of Atlantis and scourge of pirates hangs out with his lighthouse keeper dad. He is drawn into battle with his megalomaniac brother, the ruler of Atlantis, who wants to conquer the nasty, polluting surface world. Now that I think about that, it's hard not to sympathise with that point of view. It later turns into a big, stupid MacGuffin hunt that made me fall asleep, so it's bad. And I'm saying that as someone who loves movies about the sea. On a positive note, I suppose it is saved by Jason Momoa, who plays Arthur Curry, and Yahye... Abdul Mateen II, who plays Black Manta, and Tamora Morrison, who plays Tom Curry, the father of Arthur Curry, Aquaman, and the lighthouse keeper. I think this is Jason Momoa's best acting and his most likable character study. Yahye's Black Manta is a modern proper cutthroat pirate, and Tamura Morrison takes a back seat without hogging the limelight as Arthur slash Aquaman's father. I also think it's great to cast two actors who actually have some connection with the sea through their part Polynesian heritage. Now, I'm going to... Screw up the order of things here by mentioning a comic right in the middle of talking about movies and what I thought of them. But this is relevant, and I'm repeating something that I've talked about before, and that is Atlantis Chronicles. While I'm not a fan of Aquaman particularly, not because he isn't cool, but because there's only so much time, I did collect the Aquaman prequels called Atlantis Chronicles by Peter David and Esteban Marotto in the 1990s. In fact, I had the whole set. I don't anymore, unfortunately. They're a really good read. But if the Aquaman movie fires you up, but you are a bit too grown up for this kind of cinematic romp, then seek out these more mature comics. And that is Atlantis Chronicles. Okay, and back to stuff I've been watching. Black Mirror Bandersnatch. In this Charlie Brooker movie, 
a games programmer starts to lose his mind over a video game adaptation of a crazy author's cult sci-fi novel. It's set in the early 80s and has all that retro video game and sci-fi geek nostalgia that I and probably all the listeners love. This must be largely due to Charlie Brooker being a geek and roughly the same age as me. It's an interactive movie, not a new concept, but the only two I can think of offhand are Dragon's Lair and the notoriously terrible but wonderfully campy Night Trap, both of which are more games than movies. Considering I have written... This type of fairly passive, multi-branch fiction in the form of interactive short stories, using the same tool that Brooker used, Twine, I am primed to support this kind of movie. Also, as someone who is about the right age, it took me right back. There were things like the old wimpy burger place, vintage W.H. Smith, right down to vintage W.H. Smith plastic bags. There was a mention of Commodore 64 SID chips, cassette tapes. I even used to own quite a few of exactly the same devices that were used for props. So many 80s references dropped right in. Reminded me of, well, in the 80s, Some of the geek stuff and the music was good, but 80s Britain was an awful time politically, socially, economically, and there wasn't even the internet. I like Bandersnatch for the interesting plot and retro nostalgia, but it was also a little too meta for my taste, and there was also so much really interesting, but unused backstory. What I'm saying is that I think it suffered from a serious case of plotitis. It was okay, but nothing I'd want to revisit despite Netflix's plans to produce more interactive content. On the other hand, Professional screen critics will probably love it, as they seem to fawn over everything Charlie Brooker does. Next, Venom. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Oh, this was terrible. And again, I want to emphasize, I thought it was terrible. If you didn't think it was terrible, that's perfectly acceptable. We don't all have to agree on the same thing. But yeah, (gasps) I thought it was really pants. And I think it was mainly down to the star, who, after the Bronson movie, seems to be stuck playing the same dumb muscle head. He's also nothing like the comic character. So, yeah... Oh dear. There are moments of comedy from the alien symbiote, but not enough to hold my attention for less than half the film. At which point, 
I gave up. I just couldn't watch the whole movie. It's something I very rarely do with a movie. But, yeah, I did abandon it halfway through, and I still haven't watched the end of it. As I said a few minutes ago, these films that I'm talking about, I'm not talking about them in the order that I watch them. And the next one is a case in point because it's one of the more recent films I've watched, and that's The Day the Earth Caught Fire. I watched the British Film Institute's high-definition remaster of the 1961 film, and it is incredible. It is really clean, really polished, really beautiful-looking. Okay, now, I've talked about this film before, but just in case you haven't watched it, because it's an old film, you know, 1961, I'm sure... Many of the listeners weren't even born then. In fact, I wasn't born then, but I've watched it a lot over the years. Okay, with that in mind, let me just tell you what the basic premise of the film is. In this film, a reporter discovers that Earth is about to be barbecued, that's the technical term, that's the one I just made up, by the sun. It's a pre apocalyptic movie where the audience is left hanging at the end of the film to decide for themselves what was the ultimate fate of humanity. And given that it is about the earth being roasted by the sun, it couldn't really be more timely. So it has a topical plot, it looks beautiful, it's well acted, That isn't to say that I didn't have problems with this movie. The one problem I had that really sticks out was that this was made in a very different, very sexist, hard-drinking, violent, white male England. That's a problem because the remaster looks so good that... It seems like you're right there in this jarring, uncomfortable world. There doesn't seem to be that filter of degraded movie grain that you get with other films that distances you from what's on the screen. You see, when I first saw the movie in the 1970s, And given that there was, coincidentally, a major drought in 1976, the 70s, you could say it was a most apropos time to see it. And subsequently, I've seen it many, many times. But, yeah, until you see this highly polished version, it's easy to distance yourself. Bearing that in mind, it's a great film. If you can stomach the protagonist going from anti-hero to downright cad in this new render. It's interesting how just improving the definition of a movie can entirely change its tone. And that's The Day the Earth Caught Fire from 1961. Definitely, definitely put this on your list of films to watch and let me know what you think. Bird Box. More Apocalypse. 
an apocalyptic movie in which only the blind can survive. I did the opposite to Venom with this one. You see, a few years back, I got about 30 pages into the novel before giving up with what I thought was a rather boring pace. I definitely think this works better as a film. A couple of things weren't great, though. I was left unsatisfied with the conclusion. And there is a point in the film when a certain character lays out some charcoal sketches of creatures that are so ridiculous that I can now understand why when they were making Bird Box they decided to remove the CGI creatures who were going to feature in this movie from the final cut. With that fairly minor reservation I'd say yeah it's not a bad film. I'm not sure if it's cinema material. It definitely feels like something you'd want to watch at home. But it was okay. It did inevitably have echoes of films like... Oh, what was that M. Night Shyamalan film? The Happening. But I don't think we can judge every film by comparing it to that film. We are still allowed to have apocalyptic movies. Moving on to Halloween, which I saw a while back now. Yeah. Oh dear. I thought this was a decidedly average sequel to the original Halloween. Jamie Lee Curtis flips the script and goes all Sarah Connor on Michael Myers. It just doesn't have that simple, nihilistic horror of the first movie. It's just very average, not at all scary. I really think it's time to bury the Halloween saga once and for all. I could have said bury Michael Myers, but that would have been too obvious, wouldn't it? Oh, and next, let's talk about Vice. Yep, Vanilla Alert, a non-genre movie, which we talk about every once in a while. In Vice, Kristen Bale and Amy Adams of American Hustle team up again in this movie about US Vice President Dick Cheney. I didn't know much about this bloke before the movie, other than he was a vice president. The film charts Dick Cheney's rise to power roughly since the Nixon-Watergate scandal era, right through to the war with Iraq, based on the purposefully skewed interpretation of links between Saddam Hussein and Al-Qaeda. In other words, fate. 
It's a funny and disturbing movie, and I'm guessing it's the sort of thing Hunter S. Thompson would have appreciated were he still alive. And that's Vice. <sighs> oh, and I should add that I do think it's worth a watch. Christian Bale's performance is amazing. And Amy Adams is brilliant, as she always is. But Christian Bale, in particular, does his chameleon thing. I do wonder if he wore a fat suit, or he actually put on about £200 to play Dick Cheney. And that is it for stuff that I've watched since the last podcast. Probably one or two things that I watched before that last podcast. It's so hard to just make a note of all the nerdly things that I've done between podcasts because I do so much. God, what a horrible geek. Yeah, let's move on to tech. I finally... I left it way too late, which is what I always do between backups, did a full backup of my data. The drive I bought to do this was the same disk as my main disk, Seagate external portable 4TB drive, a USB 3 drive, which seems about the cheapest disk of that size in the UK right now. I used the excellent RoboCopy to copy my stuff to the backup disk. Why am I telling you this? Well, just in case you're after a cheap, big disk at the moment, and to remind everyone to always do backups. Unless, of course, you do something as ridiculous as I did during this backup. Which brings me to the next item. Before I actually bought that new disk, I tried backing up using multiple disks, and it was a total mess. A mess that ended in deleted files and the inevitable search for an undeletion tool. I quickly found Recover, that's R-E-C-U-V-A, something that I've used before. Recover is now owned by Avast, and, of course, not the KGB, or Vladimir Putin, or the FSB. Well, let's just drop the KGB thing, because they don't exist anymore. Yeah, the FSB. It was the only free and relatively non-rubbish file recovery utility for Windows I could find when my backup went stupidly wrong. If you are looking for a file recovery program, Recover is one you could use, but I would also say, because I went through looking at all of the free ones, I just want to tell you to avoid a program called EASUS. That's E-A-S-E-U-S, because it is teasware. The install routine for Recover is also filled with tricks to get you to install crapware, but if you take your time to get past that, it actually works really well. One note of caution, the user interface is idiotic, 
with the option to recover the directory tree hidden in a secondary tab. So when I used it, I had to start the whole damnable process again because I didn't check that option. Don't do that. Yeah, just go through to all the tabs and check what you need to check. But particularly if you are recovering a lot of files in a complex structure, make sure you go to the tab and then tick the box to recover the directory tree. Oh, and I've got a little update on my installation of OpenELEC on my Raspberry Pi 3B+. Now that I'm using two matched 4TB disks, one for day-to-day -day use and the other one for the backup, I've now got a few spare disks. I discovered that my Raspberry Pi 3B Plus running OpenELEC can directly power an external portable hard drive via USB. I should add that the power connection that I'm using to power my Raspberry Pi is the official one that plugs into the USB and goes directly to your wall socket. So I'm not sure how much other cables might supply. So if you are using a third party power supply, you may not have the same luck that I did in running an external spinning metal drive. The one I'm using is an abysmally slow Toshiba Canvio Basics external portable hard drive. I've been very careful to say that whole long <laughs> name out clearly to you because I'm recommending that you do not buy this model. It is very, very slow. Ah, and on the tech front, what else am I using? BusyBox, yeah, I'm using BusyBox. It's a long, long time since I dropped Sigwin, but recently I've also given up using new Win32 file and system utilities because I noticed said and awk weren't included, but they were in BusyBox. I downloaded the Windows binary and it's great. Let me back up for a moment because I'm guessing not everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. On Unix and Linux there are a set of command line utilities that every installation of Unix and Linux has. Although I'm using Windows because I used to work in tech and need to use quite a lot of utilities and I'm used to a Unix terminal, I like using those same tools in Windows. And it used to be a bit of an involved process. You could either download something called Sigwin and then download lots and lots of extra tools, or you could grab two zip files that are stuffed full of tools and then run them that way. Over the years, I don't know what's happened, but these tools have become harder and harder to find as a complete set. And BusyBox is 
a single executable. The other tools tend to be lots and lots of little executables. BusyBox is one executable that has all those tools within it. If you know Unix, tools like cat, sed, awk, even a simplified version of Vi, the text editor, they're all stuffed into BusyBox. So it's terribly convenient. Anyway, I downloaded the Windows binary and it's great. I just wish it had Banner. Banner's one of those almost pointless <laughs> command utilities that does absolutely nothing but make the text string that you type into the command line much bigger. So if you type something like poopy head, <laughs> it will make the words much bigger by spelling the P, O, the O, the P, and the Y out in much bigger letters. So the word will be spelt really big with a corresponding letter. So you'll have the P of poopy with a big version of that made up of lots of P's. <sighs> I really made a meal of that description, didn't I? But yeah, that was missing. And I remember that very well. Printing to terminal, really big rude words. Ah, yeah. And there are also other things that they do to save space, like the PS command doesn't have all the command line switches that you'd get on a Unix or Linux box, but it's okay and has most of what I like to have. And it's small and it just works. I've toyed with BusyBox before, probably even mentioned it in this podcast, but it's now my only set of POSIX tools on Windows. I do enjoy the lack of faff. Okay, and that's it for all I have to talk about on tech this week. Resolutions, yeah, New Year's resolutions. Mine are pretty simple. Stay healthy. Write prolifically, get paid, upload at least 52 podcasts this year. So as of the time of making this podcast and uploading it, I still owe you an extra podcast. I'll get to doing that as soon as possible. But that's it for my resolutions. Yeah, write a lot, get paid for writing upload at least 52 podcasts this year. Let's see if I can do that. And on the subject of writing, you can expect more on creative writing soon. I definitely have to do an update on the stuff that I've been trying to do. That really is it for today. Be happy and enjoy the new year. If you want to get in touch, the best way this year will be be simply to email me. I'm hardly engaging with social media at all anymore. There just doesn't seem to be any net benefit. You can email me at roy.martha, M-A-T-H-U-R, at gmail.com. Please review the show in iTunes, tell a friend about the show... And that's it for today. This was episode 
4, recorded on Wednesday the 16th of January 2019, and the time at the end of the show is 13.50.43. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye! the noise I make when I've just finished the podcast.